0: welcome everybody to the industry seating podcast my name is jason thomas and i am your host today is february 6th 2022 and we just wrapped up the glendale triple crown supercross saturday night i am recording this on a sunday afternoon and uh man i had a just hell of a morning i was tired i didn't get to sleep very much they had a later schedule and then i had a super early flight so i barely slept and uh man i was really struggling this morning but you know as I was walking through the airport and on flights all morning and layovers in Salt Lake City I was trying to kind of think how do I want to improve this this podcast what you know when I set out to create this thing a little over two years ago where did I see this going how can I make it better uh, what are the you know strengths and weaknesses that I see in it, and long term, what do I want it to turn into? And and I think there's a lot to be said for that in in all aspects of life. And I, I continuously, continuously, continually, I try to do that over and over. Uh, whether it's my career at fly racing, whether it's my writing with Racer X, whether it's podcasting, uh, whether it's a VIP program on the weekends, whatever that may be, uh, I just want to try to get better and make sure I'm true to the goals that I, I'm setting out to attain and obviously reassessing those goals and, and updating them as we, as we go along. So in that vein, I really want this podcast to be very casual. You know, of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm representing some brands and n- might as well mention those right now as I'm thinking of it. Pirelli Tires, uh, ProGlo Wash, Guts Racing. Plum Creek Funding, Grant Stone Boots, Works Connection, Fly Racing, Fast Foundry, can't leave those guys out. And uh, I just want to make sure I, I thank those guys and I have a, a couple of messages for them. But I really want this podcast in general to just be kind of my musings and thoughts over the weekend. And of course, we'll continue to do the power rankings, which kind of keep me on track and make sure that I mention the important 450 guys in the class, and it also keeps track of trends a little bit, whether it's really intentional or not. As guys are moving up and down the power rankings list, that's, that's marking their momentum. Are they doing better or worse over the course of a 29 race series? And really, you know, 17 rounds, but I try to make it over the course of the, the entire year and sometimes over the course of maybe multiple years, and that's why I've had Webb... Uh, you know, still at the front, even though his year this year has not gone so well. So if you hear this podcast today or whenever you listen during the week and and it sounds more casual and it just sounds like we're having more of a conversation, that's what I want. That's what I want it to be. I don't want it to be like I'm talking at you. Um, I I would want it to come across the same way as if we were, you know, watching the race together. Maybe we were, uh, you know, at a sports bar, watching the race on a Saturday night or wherever you may watch it at home, I'm sure for most of you, because uh, that's what I enjoy the most. I like bench racing. I like um, talking about the what ifs and you know having opinions and, and the sports media world would say like takes on stuff. Uh, I, I enjoy that stuff. And you're not always going to agree, but that's what makes the sport interesting. If everybody thought the same thing and approached situations and incidents the same way, It'd be pretty boring, so I'm going to try to share my opinions and be as transparent as I can. You don't have to agree uh, that's fine. I, there are you know lots of different ways to view the same thing. you know there are movies over the years that have kind of centered around that as there's, there's one act or one uh, happening and all of the different ways that it's viewed and I 'm trying to remember the name of the movie that, that did it, but basically they had one. Uh, I don't remember if it was a criminal act or something went down and then it was like every different person's perspective of the same factual event was different because they saw it different ways from different angles, from different perspectives. Their backgrounds were different, so they absorbed that in a different way with a different opinion. Um, So, you know, that's what makes uh, sports great in general is we, we don't always feel the same way about something that's really indisputable in a sense, um, if that makes sense. Anyway. So anyway, let's talk about Glendale. My question is, is this the best race on the calendar? I talked about this on my Patreon podcast yesterday. If you guys don't listen to that, I would highly recommend checking that out. I think it might be. And I was asking that on Saturday morning because I record those every race day morning. And I was looking out. Over, uh, you know, sunrise, Saturday morning, super early, is having coffee. And I'm like, man, this, this race is tough to beat. Great stadium. You have the Triple Crown. You know, Phoenix in January. The weather is phenomenal. January, February. The weather's phenomenal. This Glendale area that they built the stadium at is... It's really grown, and they've built a city kind of around the stadium, which is uh, kind of backwards if you think about it. Normally, they'd have a city put a stadium inside the city. This was kind of the other way where they built this Glendale. It's State Farm Stadium now. It's been called a bunch of different things. They have a hockey arena over there. They have all kinds of these things that they built first, and then the city sprang up around it. So interesting to see the civil engineering that went on, kind of reverse engineering, if anything. But man, it's really climbing the list for me as far as best races on the calendar. So I really enjoyed the weekend. It was a pretty chaotic weekend for me, but uh, still a really, really solid weekend. The 250 class, I think it's probably going to steal a bunch of the headlines as far as talking points for the week and we'll get into why, but Hunter Lawrence got his first win of the year and he was really good all day. You know, a bunch of my friends were all kind of bench racing on group text, and they were all predicting a Hunter Lawrence win. I, I wasn't there. I, I I knew he'd be on the podium. You could see it in his riding, and you look at the class. Of course, he should be on the podium, especially when you're able to remove some of the variants because you have three rounds to smooth some of that out. You know, if you had one bad race, if you're on the podium the other two, you're likely still going to end up there. He was good, though, you know, and all the chaos around him he was able to kind of avoid, get around it. He took the win in the one race when it was there, and in the other ones, he just he just did his thing, right? He, he was not, in my opinion, good enough to beat Christian Craig straight up, but that's not, you know, a, a, I'm not condemning him, right? I just think Christian Craig was the best rider of the night, but... You know, the best rider doesn't always win. That's not how this sport goes. You know, James Stewart was often the best rider on the night when he would crash out or do something silly. So, Hunter Lawrence got it done. And I think it had been a long time coming. You could kind of see his riding improving sans A2, because A2 wasn't very good. But you could see it was almost like a a weight had been lifted off his shoulders after the race. He was pretty excited. And, uh, yeah, I was happy for him. You know, he was opportunistic. I think would be a very good word to summarize his night. Was he the fastest rider? No, but you don't have to be, as I mentioned earlier, you don't always have to be the just flat out fastest guy to get the job done. And uh, yeah, so happy for Hunter. Good ride for him. He's eight points back in the championship. So it's certainly not out of reach by any means. And we'll kind of just see where it goes. Christian Craig was second overall. And it would be hard to argue that he wasn't the fastest guy. You know, I think if the incident, the incident with Vince Friese doesn't go on, he probably wins all three. It'd very be very hard to argue against that premise, right? Because he's already getting to the front. You know, if Vince doesn't do what he did, Christian's leading on the first lap, and then it was kind of lights out for anybody past that uh, the rest of the night, so... You know, Christian Craig has has overcome some adversity already. Even in that race where you know everything went wrong, he still came all the way back to fourth place in that individual race, which is just an incredible ride. Remember, it's only ten minutes, and he was all, he was able to get all the way back to fourth. So, kudos to him. He's beat up, he's cut, he's got you know his hands are all beat up, his shoulder has a huge gash in it, and he was able to overcome all of that, even in that. That own you know individual race and salvage a really really challenging night right that's adversity. We saw him do it at San Diego, and that was really my only question with him was when things are going wrong, when every se- everything seems like it wants to come apart, can he find the inner strength and wi- like I don't know the right word. I guess it's just you know kind of an inner calm and find the poise to push all that aside, focus on what you have to do, get your laps in, make smart passes and get back to the front. And that was very much my, the the point that I left San Diego with. And it's kind of the same thing. He did it again here in Phoenix or Glendo, excuse me. So good for him. Great job. Uh, He didn't get the win. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about that because that's a lot of money left on the table. But you know he's thinking big picture. He's thinking championship at this point. You know wins are there. Take the win when you can get them, which is probably uh, every bit of a fifty thousand dollar night to win a race. But if it's not there and you get taken out by someone doing really dumb things, then make sure that you don't sacrifice the championship, which is probably a half a million dollar endeavor. You know, when when all said and done, between sponsors and bonuses and everything. So. Great job for craig i really liked the way he was riding uh, especially at night he just looked like he was the best guy michael Moseman kind of reverted back man you really felt or i did I, I felt like he was turning a corner as far as removing mistakes finding a way to be a weekend and week out podium guy and that was the step he needed to take because speed wasn't the question ability And equipment, none of those were in question. It really came down to the fact of whether or not Michael Mosman could find a way over the course of nine races or whatever to be there every week, not crash yourself out of races, not DNF, not get tenth. And he wasn't able to do it at the beginning. You you saw the variance in his results. You know he's coming back to fifth or sixth or whatever, but that's not going to get it done. Then he has this breakout ride at San Diego. He gets the win and you're almost like, man, this could be really be something. And then he backs that up with an incredible performance at a two. He didn't win, but he didn't freak out when Christian Craig passed him. He put in a heroic battle with Christian Craig. And I'll be honest, I thought this was like the, the, the moment where you're going to look back in a year or two and say, yeah, man, you remember when Mostman was all over the place all the time, he just crashed and then he'd win and he crashed and then he crashed some more. And then you have another good one. Like that's just what it's been for Michael Moseman for a couple of years now. And then guess what? We go to Glendale, and he's right back to it. He crashes on the first lap or the start of the first race. I didn't actually see it. I just saw him in last. Then the second one was really good. And then the third one, he crashes again. And he crashes off the, uh, that tunnel jump tabletop thing. And that you just can't do that. If you want to be a champion in a short series, you've got to be there each week. You just have to. Because there's not enough talent in this class for the other guys, unless they just have catastrophic weekends, which they're not. You look at Hunter and Christian. They're overcoming all of those mistakes. There's not enough depth. Christian's coming from dead last and flipping, getting caught on extension cords, all sorts of craziness, and he's still able to get fourth, right? What that means is if you want to beat him, you've got to be perfect. You have to be perfect, if you're Hunter Lawrence or Michael Moseman, to beat a guy that can come from last to fourth. He can go through damnation and all sorts of chaos and still get to fourth. And hell, he got third at San Diego. So you have to know that you have to be picture perfect each and every weekend if you want a chance to beat that guy. And Michael Mosman is just not doing that, and I don't want to to seem like I'm coming down on Mosman because I don't I don't necessarily care if he does good or bad, but just if you're looking at it and you're like, okay, what's missing? What does he have to do to be champion? Why is he not reaching his potential? That's it. It's really easy to diagnose for me because I, I've seen this you know for years. I've seen guys that don't reach their potential, and I've seen guys that take the next step, which I believe Christian Craig is on his way to doing, and that's it. The ability, when things are going sideways and things are going wrong, can you salvage a good finish out of it? Or can you not? Do you let it get the best of you, and do you get 15th, when the other guy, Christian Craig, is getting third or fourth? That's the difference. Because all these guys can go fast. When everything's going their way, they all look kind of the same. They all look great. And they look like they should be winning every time. It's those moments where things are going completely sideways in a rye. That's the moment where you have to stand up and be a mature racer, right? Be a championship winning racer. Not everybody can do it. Some people just never figure it out. I do think Michael Mosman will. Actually thought he already did. But this weekend was kind of proof that maybe we're just not quite there yet. Maybe it's, it's not his time yet. So we'll see. It's just something to keep an eye on. Joe Shimoda, he rode better. Not good enough. I, I don't think that Mitch Payton would say that's good enough. That's not up to the standard of what they need out of him. They need him to be winning. They need him to be in podium contention every single time. And that was really the expectation, and he's not doing that. He's a solid top five guy. He's, you know, he got third in the race where Christian crashed, but it was almost by default because both Freezy and Christian were out. That's not who I think they thought Joe would be this year. So I don't know if he's trying too hard, and that would be my guess. I think he is trying too hard. I think he's put too much pressure on himself to, to be a winning level guy and not just take what comes, make sure you're on the podium every time. But it's just not, it's not coming easy for Joe at this point. And uh, yeah, here we go. The uh, probably the most, what will be the most talked about topic of my day, uh, because we'll have to do the Racer X podcast later and probably the pulp show tomorrow night. Probably everything I talk about and write about and whatever this week would be the incident with Vince Freezy. And anybody who's listening to this podcast probably knows that I'm not a Vince Freezy fan as far as his racing goes never have been. I've been racing against him since he turned pro. Uh, you know, he, he raced 450 outdoors his first season. I raced against him then. I watched him do some really dumb things then. And I didn't know much about him at all. I, I wasn't following amateur racing super closely at the time because I was so locked into my own professional career. But he moved up and I was just like, man, this guy, he likes to get aggressive with people. Like, I, I just was kind of seeing it firsthand on the fly and making my own judgments as we went on. And it was really apparent that he wanted to get aggressive and he, he didn't think anything of it because I remember people getting really mad at him early on 2029, you know, 2009, 2010. Then it kind of turned into me in 2011. He just doesn't use his brain when he's on the racetrack. That's it. He does not think he's a terrible absolutely horrific decision maker in the moment on the racetrack now I've, I've had conversations with him and I've mentioned this on this podcast other shows I you know we were at a restaurant in Germany I sat down and I'm like hey man we need to talk like I don't know you you don't know me but we've raced against each other a lot at this point and I don't think you're going down the right path I've been doing this for a long time and I don't even know if you're aware of the reputation that you are creating for yourself. I don't even know if you realize how much other riders dislike you because of the way you race. But if you want to take your career to the next level, if you want to get rides on good teams, which thank God for him for Moto Concepts because that's been his lifeline. But if you really want to be around in the sport and, and have a good name in it long term, you got to change your ways, man. Like, this doesn't work. People are going to really, really dislike you. You look at the Weston Pike incident from 2014 or 2015, whenever that was. You ask around. And this is where Steve Mathis and I have really got in, gotten into it because for a while, he wanted to like be some sort of Vince Freeze defender. You know, he wanted to take up the flag and not let him get piled on. And I just said, man, do what you want, but you're picking the wrong guy to back here. I'm, I'm telling you, I've been, I've been dealing with this guy and his incidents for a very long time. And I, you know long since I stopped racing, I had to watch it. And I would just see it and I'm like, it's the same thing. He hasn't learned a damn thing. He has not learned his lesson. And I, I mentioned that lesson part because the last few years, I really felt like he had tried to tone it down. And that's what Steve would always hark back to. And I, I kind of gave a little bit. Steve would be like, man, he's not doing his dumb things. He's not taking people out as much. He's not, you know, the the headline of every race. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. He did back it down a little bit. When he was in the 450 class and he was getting, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, in the races, 450 class, you know, 13, 14, whatever. He was doing well. And I didn't see him just cleaning people's clock week in and week out. Now there was some of it, you know, Justin Brayton, and he got into it a couple times and Brayton's like the nicest guy in the world. And Brayton, his own teammate had to just clean him out a few times. He's like, I can't deal with this dude. The things he does, he's cross jumping me. He's trying to take me out. Even Brayton had to just go in and level him a few times because you just can't stand for that stuff at some, at a certain point. So while there were isolated incidents going on, I truly did feel like he had fixed some of it. Like, I don't know if that was something he had purposefully done, had a team talk to him, had he realized that I can't be Di Tomax so me trying to take him out's not going to do any good. I just need to focus on my own results. I would imagine it was some sort of combination of a lot of those things. But it seems like this year, ever since Vince... You know, they, Mike Genova talked him into racing the 250 because they realized that Vince could get really good results. They could get television coverage. They could get, you know, they could compete for podiums. And all those things are true. Those are all really valid points. And to be fair, Vince is doing better than I really thought he would. I didn't necessarily think he would be a podium guy. But he's proven that he's very capable of battling for it. Now, he doesn't have a podium yet. And that's probably some of his own fault. But he is riding very well. I want to make that very clear. This is not me saying that Vince is not a good rider. Because he absolutely is. You watch his Anaheim 2 race. He was, he looked the part, man. He was great. Hunter Lawrence could not get around him. He really couldn't even show him a wheel. And that deserves a lot of credit. Because I think he's taken huge steps in his, his technique, his speed. All those things have gotten better. To a point where he's battling with factory 250 guys. So good for him on that front. The other part of that, and the negative part, is that I think with his relevance now in the 250 class, all of that improvement in his man, I don't even know the right word, where he he stopped taking people out, you know, that trend where he's like, okay, I'm not gonna do all this these stupid things on the racetrack, that all went out the window. It was like with the ability to be a podium guy and lead races, he reverted right back to the old Vince where he was doing dumb stuff, cross-jumping, trying to take people out, forcing it when there was no room. Those are all just in his DNA for a long time, and now they're back. And the problem is is now he's got a, a spotlight on him because he's running up front. When he was doing that in 12th, nobody really paid attention. I was because I you know I I was watching for it and that's where I think Steve and I disagreed so much Is he was like yeah whatever he's fine I'm like he's not fine you're not watching like he he's still doing it back there and then he kind of went away from it but now when you're at the front of races and you're battling for the lead and you're battling for podiums and the television cameras are on you you can't get away with that everybody sees it and they're all going to call you out on it so it had kind of been going around, right? People were like, man, this, you know, A1, he's cutting people off and doing all kinds of stuff, and you, you're starting to see the, the social media machine pop up, and everybody's talking about it, and then, holy crap, with that move this weekend, and this weekend, he really took it to a new level, because if you've ever watched his takeouts in the past, they've been pretty slow, and like you're ruining people's night and you're ruining people's series and their results. And and that's what I would always get so pissed about in the past was for myself, you know, at the time I would work so hard during the week and just ride and ride and ride driving all over the place to get my motos in endless hours on the bicycle training, resting. Like I was all in, I was doing everything that I could think of to make myself better. And all of that only matters if you get a good result on the weekend. Well, then I had this, for lack of a better term, idiot doing the dumbest things to me in the race that would ruin my night. It would ruin my weekend. It would ruin my week. And financially, uh, you know, trying to get a ride the next year, like your valuation are all based off results, right? And this guy, Vince Freeze, would ruin that. He would knock me down. We would knock each other down. And I'm just, I would just be like, dude, can you just stay away from me for the love of God? Stay away from me because I'm going to lose my mind, right? And, and that boiled over into the pits several times. And that's really what like my problem always was. is like, I don't care what you do. If you want to be the dirtiest guy on the planet, just stay away from me because I'm just trying to make a living out here. I'm just trying to make myself better. And you are single-handedly derailing all of that. And that, I think that's where my hard feelings came from is there were so many damn weekends where he was, the number one reason that I had a bad weekend, him solely, everything else was fine, but his involvement in the race with me was why I didn't do well. And that, that's still, I, I still have hard feelings to this day, but point being those incidents were pretty slow. He would just run into me in a corner. We'd fall over. They weren't dangerous in my opinion. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. They were not a dangerous situation. I was pissed off, absolutely. And and I was ready to get dangerous after the race, I can tell you that. But it wasn't anything where I felt like he was going to send us to the hospital. That incident last night with Christian Craig was way over the line. That was dangerous. That was something where Christian Craig is very lucky he did not go to the hospital. I mean, you saw how hard he flipped, flies onto the concrete. They're doing, I don't know, 30, 30 miles an hour maybe going into the sand there. Who knows, right? And and it feels and looks faster than that. It's probably 30 miles an hour, I'm guessing. And then you just go flipping onto the concrete because this guy makes an asinine move on a guy that he's not going to beat anyway. Like, what are you doing? For real. Like, if, if he was sitting, no, I wouldn't let him in my house. If he was outside my house, I would ask him, what are you doing? In that moment, what are you thinking? Why would you force it there? Because I got news for you. The race before that, you just finished an hour before in the first race of the night. He, he passed you and he beat you by half a lap in 10 minutes. I watched it. I watched him beat you by half a lap. So in your mind, Vince, are you thinking you're going to beat him? Because I got news for you. You're not. He's much better than you. He crashed at San Diego in the first corner and flipped like five times and then had no visor on and came back and still beat you. And he, again, like I said, just beat you less than an hour ago by half a lap in a shortened main event. So if you think, oh, I'm going to get him back here, I'm going to force the issue, and then I'm going to beat him. No, you're not. You're absolutely not. You are not good enough to beat Christian Craig. I'm sorry. You're good enough to be in the top five in that class. You're good enough to maybe podium. You're not good enough to beat Christian Craig. So... You, sir, are a dumbass, pardon my language, for not taking the good start, going with it, right? He gets, I think it's $30,000 for third place from Moto Concepts, which is a lot of money as a bonus. And good for Mike Genova for for offering incentives like that on a non-factory team. But you're set up to have a really good finish. You're in podium contention because you already know Vince, that Michael Moseman had a terrible first race. If you're self-aware, you're like, okay, I had a good, good first race. I'm set up for a podium nicely. I just got to keep my starts up, put the laps in, and guess what? I'm going to look up and be on the podium. Instead, you make this harebrained maneuver that you're lucky you didn't hurt Christian Craig, which he didn't do anything to deserve that. And you're lucky you didn't hurt yourself too. So I've really been trying to be careful with this stuff but I'm over it. I'm really sick of tap dancing around these lame brain moves. And that's what they are. They're really, really stupid. In the end, they're really dumb. It's not, he's fighting for position. And he's, you know, he, he just, he's out there. like and, and listen, I love Steve. It's one of my best friends. That's his been his take. Is he's fighting for a position. He's aggressive. I'm, I'm over that. Like, I'm completely done with that take. That, is a, that was a really really stupid move he made last night. And people were texting me like, man, you should see him cross-jumping down the straightaways each direction. This was this Saturday night. And I couldn't really see that, so I'm not going to bury him. I know he was doing some cross-jumping at Anaheim too. I hate that. Everybody that knows me knows I hate that. But I'm not even going to rail against it because I didn't see it last night. But that Christian Craig move was absolutely unacceptable. And if the AMA doesn't do something then bat on them, something's got to happen. And it's not like he's never been penalized. He got suspended in 2011, the 450 class. He took out Bobby Kenire. He took, out, he took me out. We got into it. And I'm like, I told the AMA you know, crew at the time, I'm like, you guys got to do something about this guy because all of us are over it. He's trying to take everybody out and we're going to start taking it into our own hands if you don't. So the next weekend, this is 2011, mind you, he just cleans out Bobby Canary in Seattle. I mean absolutely annihilates him. And we had it on video because I was in the battle. We had it on our video. So the AMA did the right thing in my opinion. They suspended him for a round. Like cuz it was so far out of line. I wish I still had the video. It was like, man, what are you? Like you're going to kill somebody out here. So they suspended him for a round and they finally did something. And kind of since then they haven't done a lot. You remember the incident with jason anderson where anderson actually like took a swing at him right and it's just this gigantic catalog of incidents involving vince freezy the weston pike one weston finally had enough and that was after a a previous incident at washugal that really didn't get a lot of mention they got into it really big at washugal the prior year but it's just this culmination and catalog of incidents that vince has been in and i'm i'm done like i i will not continue to just hold back and say, yeah, whatever, Vince, well, no, I'm, I'm done. Like he, He's doing moronic, idiotic things out there. And that doesn't mean he can't go fast. That doesn't mean he's not a great rider. That doesn't mean he's not taking huge steps forward as a rider and a racer. It just means that every time he does something like that, he just proves that he hasn't learned anything, and he's still the same guy. Deep down, he's still the same guy that makes terrible decisions and doesn't respect anybody else on the racetrack. He's willing to take you out. He's willing to cross-jump you. He does not care if he hurts you in the process, and to me, that's not acceptable. That is not anything that a professional racer should ever you know, be hanging their hat on, and I just think that's who he is, man. That's just, in the end, who he is. So that was a very long Segment. I'm sure I'll be talking about that again more here in a couple hours with Steve and Weej. but that's the where I'm coming down on it. I'm done with hiding behind how I really feel. I don't think he's a bad person. I actually think he's pretty nice. If you talk to him, you see him at the airport. It's none of that. It's you put a helmet on him and it's like you disconnect his brain. Like there's a switch inside his helmet where it goes, okay, I'm Vince Freeze, I'm a pretty nice guy. I put my helmet on, now I'm a complete idiot. That's what happens, in my opinion. So I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I'm kind of done. All right, got to calm down because we're going to talk about the 450 class, and none of these guys did anything to piss me off like Vince did. So deep breath. Again, I'm trying to be as casual as possible. I just want to be like we're talking because this is my real opinion on Vince. I'm, I'm done. Nice guy off the track, complete moron on the track. That's as simple as I can make it. Number 10, Aaron Plessinger. And, you know, Aaron had a weird night. He did not – he didn't ride very well, I don't think. I watched him because he was on my fantasy team. He did not get me double points, by the way, so that sucked. But his starts were less than – I would say less than average. They They weren't good for sure, and they weren't even decent. They were pretty bad. And then his speed really wasn't good either. Like he couldn't really do a lot with guys that you would think he would be better than, guys like Shane McElrath. Some of the middling guys, Dino, those are guys, in my opinion, knowing what he gets paid, knowing what his expect not I don't want to say his expectations, knowing the expectations that are placed upon him because of those paychecks and commitments, he's got to be better than that. He he simply does. And I think he would be the first one to tell you that. So I kept him at 10. He does have a podium through the first five rounds, and that, that goes a long way. But I don't think Glendale was a very good night for uh, for AP. Number nine, Marvin, and I almost—I was ready to move Marvin up. I, I think he was ready to be moved up because he was in a podium position going into race three, right? And I was at the race watching, so I wasn't keeping up with uh, you know, the dynamic of who's, in, who's ready to podium and who's not and the points and all that. I was, I was running around all night doing all kinds of things. I was watching every race, of course, but I wasn't at home getting that sort of information spoon-fed to me. So I didn't actually know that he was in third. I just knew he had kind of been good all day and all night. I knew he had been running around those top five spots, because I think he had a five and a four going into the final round. And then, yeah, he, he makes a mistake. It's his own fault. I'm sure he didn't mean to let the front end slide there, um, but he, he blew a great opportunity for a podium. Now I don't know how the points would have played out with Sexton winning the last one. I don't know what Marvin would have needed to finish there to stay on the podium, but I'm going to leave Marvin at nine for now. Um, he's very close to moving up to uh, to eight or to seven, but it's really difficult when you look at the guys ahead of him, and I, I can make really strong cases for why they should stay ahead of Marvin for now because if you you know. I could pull out a race like San Diego where Marvin goes from 1st to 10th with no real reason why. If you want you know, evidence to why he shouldn't move up. I still haven't learned anything from those rounds of why he did that. Has he fixed that? I don't know. I haven't seen him get a 1st or a 2nd or a 3rd in a race like where I'm like, oh man, that's, like, he's good. Like, he's finally figured it out. He could get 10th just as easy as he could get 4th in my opinion right now. There, there is no real differentiation to me between those two results for marvin i would shrug my shoulders at both of those results not in a bad way i would just be like yeah marvin can do that no problem he can get 10th or he can get fourth and i feel like they're both the likelihood of both is uh it's kind of the same number eight i have justin barsha and you know the riding for justin barsha is good when i watch him ride and you guys most of you watched on tv you saw the same thing. He, he's moving up. He's passing Cooper Webb. He looks really aggressive, and he looks great on the motorcycle, but the results are not coming because the starts are not there. And I don't, know what, I don't know what to do with that. That is not a typical Justin Barsha dynamic. Like He's normally the guy that gets the starts, and you can count on him being top five on the start. And even at the beginning of the season, you could. So I don't know if it's they've made a bike change. I don't, who, who knows, right? They're not going to be forthcoming with what's going on there but it just seems like whatever they may have changed or maybe everyone else got better or maybe it's confidence or who knows, but something has taken a step back uh, in the starts department. Number seven, I have Mookie and Mookie is on the cusp of moving forward. You put a couple more rounds like that together the way Mookie rode in Glendale and he will be top five really quickly because that was a great, great performance from uh, Malcolm Stewart. And I know that the KTM team and that when you when you say KTM, that group, that means Husky, that means gas gas, that means KTM, that means everybody, right? Their entire effort, and that's a lot of riders and a lot of personnel. They had a gigantic meeting with the brass, and that's Pit Byer and you know Ian and Roger and, and the brass from Europe came over. All of them got together and basically said, Hey guys, this isn't it. Like we're not performing. And KTM, if, if, for those of you who don't really know or aren't for super familiar, they are deadly serious about winning. It's all that matters. And if you know, I've spent a ton of time, as many of you know, I've spent a ton of time in Germany, racing in Europe. I know how uh, their minds work over there. You know that Austrian, German, they, very, they think very much the same. And they, you know, a lot of them speak both the same language and all that stuff winning is placed on such a high pedestal. It's like winning is at the top and then 75 pegs lower is second and third. And that's just how they are, man. Even when I was racing, if I won, I was the greatest human to ever be born onto this planet. And if I got second, third, fourth, fifth, it wasn't like they were mad at me, but they just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, that's fine. Here you go, here's your money. See you next time, maybe we'll, maybe we'll win then. And that's just who they are as a culture. That's how they think. So to apply that, when you see Webb was second in points going into A2, you see Marvin trying to get her on the podium. They're winning some heat races. They're running around near the front. AP gets a second at Oakland. All of that, to me, was met with this isn't good enough. You Barsha got a couple podiums. That all looked pretty good, and I think most people would view it as like, hey, they're doing pretty good. I can promise you, because I've been around it, that's not how they're looking at it. They're looking at it as, man, this isn't, this isn't what we signed up for at all, this isn't what you're paid for, this isn't what our teams are about, this isn't what our brand's about. We are here to win, period, end of story. Winning's the only acceptable answer, and how do we get there? What do we have to fix? What do we need to change? Because we need to start winning, and we need to start winning now. So that meeting all kind of went down last week. Now, I don't think this week (laughs) really gave them anything to write home about because it didn't seem like they've taken any steps forward other than Mookie. And that's who, you know, this is the rider in the seventh spot that we're talking about was Mookie. He looked better. And I know they made sweeping suspension changes this past week based off of that big meeting. So maybe, maybe Mookie is ready to take the next step and maybe... Whatever they changed fundamentally with the bike was what Mookie needed because I I heard through the grapevine that he was very vocal about his bike not being good enough. He wasn't happy with how the suspension was performing and it was holding him back. So I don't know if that's true. I'm pretty damn sure it is because I trust my sources. I don't know what the changes that were made, but I know suspension-wise, whether it was clamps, Linkage suspension, like there's a, a lot of different ways to solve a suspension problem. It doesn't have to just be oh we you know we change internals. It can be a lot of different things that all affect the overall package. But he did look better, and you know he he looked like he was ready to be a steady podium guy. So watch for him at A3. Let's see if we can get continuation out of Mookie. But he looks he looks good. He looked really really strong on Saturday night in Glendale. Number six, Dylan Ferrandis and it felt like he was ready to move forward, right? I wanted to put him ahead of in this week. I really did. But you see that last race. You see him in the last one sitting in the mechanics area, getting his bar straightened, which means he's going to get last in that last race. And you can not do that in this championship. You can't. You can't DNF races. That's what he did all last year. That's what 2021 was. Great race then A terrible race, and that was you know in my preview stuff in this podcast, and you know, everybody asking what's it going to take for Fran to, to be the guy, and that's been my answer all along is that he's got to remove the bad nights. You can't have nights where you get 12th or worse or DNF, you just cannot do it if you're going to try to beat Tomac and Webb and Roxanne and whoever else is in the championship because they don't do that, they simply don't. Do it. Go back and find me a night where Cooper Webb got last. Find me a night where he got 15th. I'll wait, right? I'm not saying he's never done it. because I'm sure he has, but it's not something that's normal whatsoever. For Dylan Ferrandis, it is. That's the problem. That's where his championships go awry. It's not the normal night. It's the every fourth or fifth race where he gets 15th and you just give up. 15 18 points and sorry man you do that a couple times and guess what you're you're a race out of the lead you're two races out of the lead you know coming down the stretch so i like everything i'm seeing out of frantis he was your fastest qualifier he looked amazing on the racetrack but you gotta you gotta find a way to take those bad nights out um you know the the old cliche of championships are won on your bad nights it seems to be incredibly true For Dylan Ferrandez. Maybe more than most for for Dylan it In that vein, it's what's keeping him away from a championship. Number five, Ken Roxon, And something's missing here. Uh, I I wrote confidence question mark in my notes. Because I don't know if it's confidence. But something is missing. There's no doubt about that. He is not firing, firing on all cylinders. It could be the bike. Where he's not confident in the motorcycle. It could be he's not confident in his health. I don't know. But he does not look like the same guy. He's getting passed straight up. He's getting good starts, and he is getting shuffled backwards. You watch that one main event where the guys were just going by him. Anderson and Mookie, they were just pushing him around. I, that, there's no better way to put it than that is. They are They are literally just pushing him around. If he's in the way, they move him out of the way. And there's no recourse there is no absolutely no penalty to be paid for pushing ken roxon out of the way and i don't think that's ever going to change because it really never has when was the last time you saw ken roxon retaliate on somebody for getting aggressive like push back like run him wide and say hey dude you can't do that to me he doesn't do it you know he, cooper webb has given him a million reasons to push back over the years, and he's never done it. So I don't expect him to change it. I just don't think he wants anything to do with aggressive or rough riding. And I don't blame him. I hate it too. But at some point, if you're going to be in a, a championship battle like that, I think you've got to be willing to get aggressive with some of these guys. We saw what happened with Jason Anderson. We've, you know, we've beaten that horse into the ground. But it's the same old story. And, and I don't think Glendale was necessarily the best – example for that, even though I'm making it a point because he didn't look like he had the pace to, to fight back. You know, if you get, if you're trying to push somebody around and you're going backwards, it's probably not going to work, even though Vince Friese tries to do it all the time. It's just not a great idea. You need the pace, right? You need to, if somebody stuffs you and you're like, I can go as fast as you, like whatever, stuff them back and then take off. That's the kind of stuff that I want to see uh, Ken Roxon do to people. I want to see him get fired up and pissed off, and get aggressive, and then use that fire and motivation and anger to take back off and, and lower those lap times again. Get back onto your form that you were three or four laps ago. But, point being, something is missing with Ken and I'm just not quite sure what it is. It's, it's definitely there, though. wanna thank the sponsors again, Pirelli Tires. Check out that range of Scorpion MX32 Midsoft Mini Tires. A lot of you are uh, you know, frozen tundra right now, but you're, you will be riding soon. Your kids will be riding soon. So keep those Pirelli tires in mind as you get your bike styled in for a new riding season. Plum Creek Funding. I saw a headline the other day, and Zach didn't even tell me this. Zach Morris owns Plum Creek Funding. The mortgage rates hit the highest rate since 2020. And that is a clear signal of what's coming What does that mean for you? That means you need to act. You need to refi if you're gonna buy something. If you can find something at a reasonable price, you need to move now because interest rates are going up. They're going to use federal interest rates to gauge and govern inflation. That's absolutely what's happening. They are very, very transparent with that's what's coming. So if you are in a house that your interest rate's higher than what you see out there in the market, call Zach. 720-212-4685, 720-212-4685, and ask him how he can help you. It doesn't mean you're locked into anything. It doesn't mean you have to buy a house. It doesn't mean you have to refi. But ask him, like, hey, this is my deal. This is how many years I have left on my mortgage. This is my interest rate. What should I do? And he's going to give you great advice. That's what he's there for. If he can help you and do business with you, great. That's what he's there for also. But he is a motocross person. He wants to help people. And I think there is a great opportunity that's not going to last very long right now. So you need to, uh, to act. And I've been saying this for two years. Those of you who listen all the time, you know I've been saying the same point for two years that interest rates are the lowest they've ever been and it's not going to last. Well, it's, that ha- that's happening right now. That time where I said at some point interest rates are going back up is happening right now. We're in the midst of it. March 16th, I believe, is the next Fed meeting. And you can bet your behind That interest rates are going up right then guts racing check out the rj wide wing seat build yourself some custom graphics maybe you want your small business graphics on there maybe you want to build your own personal sponsors maybe you're sponsored by fly racing you can put your own graphics on there maybe you just have a cool idea you want to do something guts racing can help you out with that they have and what in my opinion the best seat covers in the business you can get those dialed in too um, so, check out all the things at Guts Racing at Guts Racing on Instagram as well. Works Connection, promo code JT21 for that pro launch start device. Guess what? More hole shots. You see Christian Craig out there running around out front. They use the pro launch start device. You see Chase Sexton hole shotting that final main event with a pro launch start device from Works Connection. There's a reason for that, it's easy to install. It's not super complicated like some of their competitors' products are. And that's one of the, to me, one of the highlights is you don't have to be a you know, a really proficient mechanic to put this thing together. And that's important for me because I'm not. I, am, I did not get my dad's mechanical skills at all. So I need things that are somewhat easy to install. And that's exactly what the Pro Launch Start device is. Fast Foundry, ask for Robert Carrico. Ask him what he can do for your small business. Ask him how he can help improve efficiency Maybe you're a huge business too. They do all sorts of different things for all sorts of different size businesses. Uh, A great example he gave me was helping a company get much better with Excel. They can help you with your payroll. They can do all sorts of things. They can help you with your warehouse. You know How do you handle logistics? Uh, The possibilities are endless. So I would just recommend reaching out to Fast Foundry. Go to fastfoundry.com and ask them how they can help you today. And as we all know, Business over the last two years has been some of the most challenging we've ever seen from the economy shutting down to supply chain issues to now we have inflation. So pricing is going through the roof. You know, costs are out of control. Uh, You know, wage increases like every possible headwind you could ever possibly think to encounter in that space is happening. So maybe Fast Foundry has an answer you haven't even thought of. Maybe you have a problem that you haven't even been able to diagnose. Fast Foundry can help with that. Blenzall, former sponsor. I do want to thank those. I really like those guys, even though they're not around for 22 right now. I want to give those guys a shout out. I've always uh, had a great relationship with them. ProGlow, Moto15 is your promo code. And we've been doing the, uh, the ProGlow question of the week. So get those questions in. We will resume that. Next weekend, we'll do the Pro Glow question of the week. They have the uh, Power Sports Wash. And just to give it a little read, it is designed and formulated to target mud, clay, grime, and any other material you might encounter. It doesn't matter if it's on the street, track, or trail. Pro Glow's Power Sports Wash uses a proprietary technology to chemically break down or remove dirt from surfaces, something that other soaps or cleaners just are not able to do, nor are they formulated to do that. The fully active granular blend easily dissolves in water and it's the most concentrated product on, available on the market today. I also want to mention the uh, ProGlow degreaser. So, if you have something that's like oil and dirt mixes, something like that, it's it's separate from the Power Sports wash. Check out that degreaser as well. Thank you to Ryan and ProGlow Wash for all their support. Uh, great product there. And I can't wait for it to melt, the snow to melt around here in Boise. So I can get back out on my bicycle and uh, my my street bike and I'll have a dirt bike by then too. And I'll be using ProGlo once again because right now I'm not using ProGlo. Everything's frozen, just a bunch of snow. So I don't have any use for it at the moment. I also want to thank Grandstone Boots. They sent me a brand new pair of ostrich weather boots. And yes, I need to post a picture of those things. I have the box downstairs. They are unbelievably amazing. When I saw them post them on their Instagram, I'm like, Man, I can't even ask for these. They're probably like a limited edition, but I had to, they look too, they look too cool. I had to at least ask like, Hey, is there any chance that I could get a deal on these or I just want a a pair Um, because they're the most unique, you know, boots that I now own. And uh, so check those guys out, go to grandstoneboot.com and uh, see all the great products. They have belts, wallets, of course, all the different selections of boots Uh, They have wingtips, they have loafers, they have all kinds of stuff over there. So really great product line that is continually expanding, um, and it's been really fun to watch those guys kind of grow from, they were like a one product line at the very beginning when I first started talking to them, and now they have this just gigantic catalog of products. So it's a really cool success story over there. Last but not least, Fly Racing. I worked there. We had a huge meeting down in Glendale on Friday that went really, really well. Thank you to all the attendees that were there for that. Um, great race again on Saturday, and uh, yeah, love my job over there, love all the people that I work with, so thank you to, uh, to Fly Racing for all of the opportunities, and uh, of course, sponsoring this podcast as well. Now let's move on. I know you guys don't like sponsor reads. I understand. I get it. It's part of it. I thank you for listening. We're going to get back to the content. We're going to get back to the power rankings. I get it. I'll start yelling about Vince Friese again if you want. If that's what you want me to do, you just want me to freak out more about Vince Friese. I can do that too. But let me get through the power rankings. Number four is Chase Sexton. And you can see Chase Sexton figuring it out. You can see how good he is. Like that's his most, the most simple and Neanderthal way I can put it is he's, he's really good. Uh, but if you watch that last race, And you see him, they didn't show it on TV, which sucks, but it's on Instagram, it's on Chase Sexton's story on Instagram. He was doing this 3-4-3-1 after the finish, which was insane. I did not think anybody was going to even attempt it. It never even crossed my mind that someone was going to try it. It was big. And he's the only one that did it. Nobody else tried it the entire night. And He was doing it in the race. You just don't see that very often. People try stuff in practice and time qualifying, but to pull that in a race, that's next level type stuff. So good for Sexton. He bounced back from a, the second race where everything kind of came apart on him. But he looked great. He got on, onto the podium in that final round. But the only detraction I have to say is the inconsistency, right? He still has to find a way to remove those bad rounds. Because until he does, he's not going to be able to win a championship. You, you can't throw races away like that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that's the missing link. He's still working that bug out. And it's getting better. You saw him win San Diego. You saw him get a third, which I thought was a very mature ride at Anaheim 2. He took what was given to him, which was that third. And then you saw a little bit of the inconsistency bounce back. But that that last moto was, it was kind of reassuring, right? He goes out there and just dominates that final round. So I really like what Sexton's doing. I like how much improvement I'm seeing both physically and mentally. And I think he's going to be a multi-race winner in 2022. Like as far as the overalls, I think they're coming. I think he may get three or four wins by the time this thing's all said and done. Number three, Jason Anderson. And this is where it gets dicey because I think on a shorter time frame, Anderson deserves to be number two. He really, really does. But I'm going to have him at three because... It's a little bit Johnny-come-lately. We're only five rounds in, and before this year, it hadn't been very good. So I don't feel that it's right to put him past Cooper Webb this quick. I just don't think it's re- the time is right yet. And I don't know if it will be, because maybe Webb bounces back, but there's no question that Anderson's riding better than Cooper Webb right now. But if you look on a broader scale and add more races into it, you add last season into it, then Cooper Webb's like, man, I, well, you're just going to take me out over five rounds? No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that to him. So I'm leaving him in for now. I'm leaving Anderson at three. And Anderson is really, really impressive. He is, And I wrote in my notes, Anderson is so damn good this year. And that's fair. I, I really feel like that really summarizes his season. He is riding incredibly well. You see him just blow past guys in that final round. Blow past Tomac. Blow past Mookie. Those are things that don't necessarily happen. Like people aren't able to do that type of thing to these guys. So I love what I'm seeing. I love the riding. He's just gotta find a way to reduce some of those mistakes. And I don't know if ones I don't know if they're correlated. And that's something that I don't have an answer for, but I I feel like it needs to be brought up. You see the crashes and the things at Anaheim 2, he's jumping off the track and all over the map. And then you see he jumps off the track and crashes again. At Glendale. And then you see the other rounds where he is just lights out faster than everybody. And I don't know if he can manage that speed without having the crashes in there. So that then that presents the question: what's the answer? Is it backing it down a little bit? Does he need to slow down a little bit, find a balance where maybe he's not way better? Maybe he's just a, a 1% better, but he doesn't get the crashes. And that's where you really find the answer. That, And I think that's where Eli Tomac is. That's where I think Eli Tomac has made a living in this sport is he has found the balance of, I'm not going to crash, but I'm going to be better than you. Now, I can go way faster and be way better than everybody else, but the risk factor will also go way up. I think Eli Tomac knows to avoid that place. I think he knows there's nothing good that can come from that. And maybe that's from having a father that was a world champion in cycling. Maybe he that was something he had wisdom and had lived through his own self to not blow yourself up as far as too much effort. Find a level that's better than everybody and just hold it. You don't have to win by an hour. You can just win by five seconds. I don't know. I'm completely uh, just theorizing there. But I think that's what's missing from Anderson. He just needs to back it down just 1%, and then you can take those mistakes away, you're winning more, and when you're not winning, you're still second or third instead of seventh. So we shall see on Jason Anderson. Cooper Webb, you know, I alluded to earlier, they had that huge meeting, and I don't know where it goes from here. I don't know if... There are imminent changes on the bike coming. I don't know if they thought they had it figured out for for Glendale and they went to the race and because he did look spicy. He was trying to get to the front early in the practices where he's ready. Like I'm ready to take this series back. I'm ready to to make significant changes. But it didn't work out in the race. He was not very good. He was not able to beat the likes of Justin Barsha or Anderson or Roxon or Any of those guys. They were just simply faster than him. Forget about Tomac or Sexton of those guys. They were all just faster than him. He gets a good start in that last one. I think he ended up fifth in the race. But let's go back to last year. Let's go back to 2019. When Cooper Webb got the start and he started third, you're like, oh boy, these guys are in big trouble. That's not the feeling you have right now at all. right? And that, to me, that speaks volumes that... I don't have that vibe whatsoever. When Webb's third, my initial thought is, eh, can he hold on to this thing? I don't know if he can. Can he hold on to this thing? So it's a, it's a completely different feel, and it's been subtle, right? It's almost subconscious in my own thought process, but it's there. It's real. So he's got to do something about that. He's got to come out and get a win. We were uh, A few of us were, were bench racing on via text last night, and we're like, he's... He's got to make this happen, and now he's got to change this narrative before it gets too far away, because remember, two weeks ago, he was one point out, and now he's like 20. That's a huge swing, huge, right? So he's got to turn the tide and get, uh, get momentum swinging back his way. Number one, Eli Tomac, this should not be a surprise to anyone. He has won two rounds in a row, and he was second at the, the round before that. He has taken the points lead. He looks to be the best guy in the class right now. His starts are better. His speed is better. His mood is better. I mean, he's firing on all cylinders. Everything is going Eli Tomac's way. So that should be a very big warning sign. Everybody else should be ready to press the panic button on this season because it could get out of hand in a hurry if they don't do something about this. So you got to be happy if you're an Eli Tomac fan. If you're, you know, if you're his family, you've got to be all smiles on this Sunday because. Clearly, the decision to switch it up to go to Monster Star Yamaha was the right one. It just looks like, regardless of what the reasons were, the bike, the team, the technicians, it doesn't matter. It's, it could be all of those things. A little piece of all of those, it's working, period. And Jason Anderson's move to Kawasaki is also working. So it doesn't have to be a, you know end-all, be-all switch. It's not, it doesn't have to be, oh man, the Yamaha's way better. Because Jason Anderson is, could push back and say, look how good I'm doing on this Kawasaki. And that's kind of where I come down, is I think all the bikes are great. Sometimes you just need a change of scenery. Sometimes you just need to get out of your comfort zone, try new things, change your training, change your location, right? Eli tomak has been riding in different places. He's been riding at the Yamaha Track. He's been riding in Florida. He's been riding with different people. All those things can have a cumulative effect on your performance. And the same goes for Anderson, riding, riding with Cali, at Cali, riding with Cincerillo, All those things can make you step your game up. So that's the top 10. I did want to have an honorable mention for Dean Wilson and Shane McElrath. They, t- they both took huge steps forward this week. Shane's been working really hard on getting the motorcycle more to his liking. They've been testing a lot and that's really helped. You could see how much better he was. His speed was better He didn't look like he was getting pushed around. He was able to actually move forward in the races. He got an eighth in that last one. It was just a very different Shane McElrath than I had seen at the opening round. So kudos to him. And then Dean Wilson, this is kind of week two of Dino getting better. I think he's been ninth two weeks in a row now. That may be wrong, but I think that's ninth two weeks in a row. And that that is steady improvement. He is riding better than he was. Case in point, I saw him going toe-to-toe with Aaron Plessinger for laps on laps on laps. That wouldn't have happened at the beginning of the season. AP was simply faster than Dino was. So whatever they're working on, whatever Dean's been working on behind the scenes is starting to show up at the racetrack. So good job to those guys. They did make the top 10, but I do like to call out when I see improvement. So that's it for the show this week. Went a little longer. Oh, man, we're over an hour this week. But the Vince Friese thing had to be done. And I'm going to try to be as honest as I can with you guys. I just, I don't think he's a bad person. I really don't. I think he is one of the most, or the biggest nuisances to ever hit a racetrack. I think that's fair. But I don't want, you know, like, I know he has parents. And I know he has family. And I know he has friends. And I don't want them to think I hate the guy. Because I don't. I don't hate him. I don't wish him ill will at all. I just cannot stand the way that dude races a motorcycle. I can't stand it. And I'm just not going to hold back on that front anymore. So that's it. We'll move on. i got a couple hours, so i got to talk to Steve and Weege about it. And we'll cover all this again. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to the sponsors. And we will talk to you next weekend on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm probably going to get that one out really quickly because uh, the Super Bowl's in the afternoon. So I'm going to record that one either Saturday night or early Sunday morning and get it out right away. So look for that one early next Sunday. See ya.